place. Heavenly Father, we just love coming into your presence. And we know that the only reason we can do that is because you look at us as pure and blameless. Because you do not look upon sin. And yet we're still sinners. And yet you look at us through the blood of your son. What a privilege to come into your presence tonight. And to know that we have been able, it's just another one of your gifts to us. You've given us the, your word, your, your word. Jesus is the word, and we know that, that it is the truth, every word of it. And we, we've said that every week that we meet. We do believe that it is, it is your word, and every word is true. And, Lord, we, we know that it is just an opportunity to be able to go into it and learn and to mature and to grow and to see what you expect from us. So it, this is a privilege to be able to come together and, and to study during the week and then just come. Father, we just want to keep this going. We know this pleases you. And to think that, that we started way back in September and we started and we, t- we really tackled something huge. And that's the book of Daniel. And then we moved to the book of Esther. And then, and then in the winter, we were even able to do a backup. And then to come back and then to do the revelation. So we have really covered a lot of bases. And yet we've, saw, we've seen how intricately scripture just fits together. So it has been a privilege. It's been an opportunity. And we're grateful for this church that's willing to have, let us come every week. And every year we just have to adjust to whatever we have to adjust to. But we're just not going to let this study go. So, Father, tonight we just come and we just pray for this anointing to just cover this place. And most importantly, that your spirit just covers our heart, that we're willing to listen to him tonight. That we concentrate and see that this last chapter of the last book of the Bible, that's got to be important. The information, what it says, every line, has got to be so important because it's wrapping the whole word of God up. So, Lord, may we just take it seriously tonight and concentrate. Lord, I personally am so thankful for everyone who has just so diligently committed. And that, that is to their benefit. When you're, when you're slipshot, when you just think that you can come when, whenever you feel like it. Father, we miss something. You love a consistency. You want us to persevere. You want us to know you better. So, Father, tonight we just um, pray that as we go into this last chapter that we're ready to receive it. And we will truly give you all the praise and the glory for what you have done and what you're going to continue to do in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so chapter 22 of the Revelation. And and just... Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Pearl. I almost, I almost forgot. Do you know that I did that, almost, I did that last night, too? I almost forgot. And I, I looked down at my Bible just to get my notes and everything ready to go. And then I looked up. Everybody in the church out of reform had their Bible up. <laughs> it was so great. It just warmed my heart. So anyways, here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. All right. Now, open it to Revelation 22. But just 
just come with me a minute because I think it's so important. I just learned this this year. Of all the times that I've been through Revelation, I never saw how, again, meticulously and orderly it's laid out. And so I just want you to, you know, when you start a book, of course you would start at the beginning, and it's so obvious that even Revelation, I know we want to jump to chapter 21 right away, you know, but we need to see how this is all laid out. And so when you go to chapter 1, how it's so obvious that Jesus is saying to John, and John is then saying to us that you, this isn't, this is a book that you can trust because Jesus is making sure that John is going to tell the story. John is then saying, believe me, I knew him so well. I knew him. I saw him um, on the cross. I saw him rise from, from, I saw him after he was risen. I saw him ascended to heaven, but nothing is like what I saw when I saw him in all of his glory and how I just fell as though I were dead. I just didn't have anything to say. I, did, I couldn't move. It was so unbelievable. And he, he wants us to know that, that it's an important book, that he was chosen. He was on the island of Patmos. All the other disciples had been martyred. Jesus made sure that he was alive, even though he was suffering for the cause of Christ. And he admits that too in chapter one. But he stays in the spirit. Remember that? Instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of in, in self-pity. He is in the spirit, so he is able then to receive what Jesus is going to tell him. And so he said, I saw with my eyes and I heard with my ears. It is a revelation about the, the king of kings and lord of lords. And so we kind of, you know, we see the description and, and, and then we know that it's written for what the seven churches, which means it's written to us. And so then you go into chapters two and three, and, and I think you have to keep remembering when you read that, that yes, they were individual churches, but, but yet every one of those churches pertain to you and I. And what he's saying is before judgment starts, I want to make sure, Jesus says, I want to make sure that everybody is ready and prepared and that they've taken a look at their heart. Are they ready for this monumental time? Is, is their name in the book? You know, and maybe their name is in the book, but they're, but they're just half-hearted. Maybe like Philadelphia, maybe maybe. There's people who are discouraged and they think that they, they, they don't um, have what it takes. I mean, how could the Lord use me I'm, uh, compared to so-and-so? I can't do anything, you know. And, I mean, he knew that there is something that every one of us could identify with. And it exposes us because he says, I want this cleaned out. I want to make sure that your heart is ready. And so two and three was, was definitely a, a very personal that we had to take a look at. You know, like with Smyrna, maybe, maybe you're, you, you've had a tough life and it's just one suffering after another and it's just so easy to be discouraged. And, and so he said, no, you can't be discouraged. Let me show you that it's going to be so worth your while. 
And, and so, I mean, I think it's very important that we keep going over these churches to make sure that it exposes what we need to have exposed so that we're ready. And then, and then chapter four, I mean, we talk about, you know, Jesus being the lion and the lamb and, and, you know, we, we get a little taste of, of, of heaven, what's going on in heaven and the sights and the sounds. I mean, just a little smidge of it. We see uh, all the, um, in chapter 5, we see how all of a sudden we read something like the scroll is in the Father's hand. Now, what in the world is that? And, and someone has got to be worthy to take that scroll that's written on both sides. It's, it's chucked full. In other words, this judgment thing is going to take a while. And it's filled with information for every one of us. Now, who is worthy to take that scroll? And, and at first, no one came. And, and John is just beside himself with sorrow, thinking that this whole thing has just been a farce, really. That Jesus and the cross really didn't, didn't really work. That amazing grace really wasn't so amazing. And then you have one of the elders that step up and said, oh, John, don't weep because there is one worthy. And you, you see, you picture it in your mind, you see Jesus on all of his authority. He comes to the throne that the Father is sitting on. And with all confidence, he takes that scroll because he is the one that is worthy and can start the ball rolling so that we can experience Revelation 21, that we will be able to get to the, the promises that he has for his children. But how over and over we read the, the phrase, what must soon take place. We need this in order here. So now we understand about that judgment is going to take, you know, a while, and we, 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 took, we took all of judgment in one lesson, in 6 to 20. We laid the whole thing out. This is what judgment is going to be. But can't you see, by now, you are ready. You've been, you've been cleaned out. You've been given a glimpse of heaven. You've, you've seen the lamb who is, John says, I saw a lamb as if he had once been slain. So you know it's Jesus. And with all of his Authority takes it and starts it. And then we, we see how it moves in chapter 6 into the seven seals. Jesus starts opening one seal after another. And how the judgment is so precise. It's so progressive. He uses such provisions just at the right time because he wants to make sure that we hear that we don't miss it. So after the six seals are open, after six seals are open, we saw that the seventh seal is a pause. It's a pause of for about a half hour, a silence of, of in heaven and on earth. There's a silence. There's a pause. It's like, do you recognize you recognize what's happening here. Here's your chance to think about it, to make the most of this time. And then we saw, too, how some people just still shook their fists. 
And, and yet at the end, as the seventh seal was opened, we saw after the pause, we saw the angel fill, fill this, this, this instrument and he hurled it and the pause was over, lightning and thunder. And then we see seven angels who are now going to sound the seven trumpets one at a time. And in this, we saw how precise. Remember in that chapter of the seven trumpets, we saw one after another, how we saw one-third, one-third, one-third. How precise. And that should have been recognizable because you think of a third of the sun, a third of the night, a third of the day, and then a third of mankind. It was so precise. And it got progressively worse so that, remember, the last three trumpets were, whoa, whoa, whoa. And before the seventh trumpet was sounded, we saw more provisions. During the seals, we saw how God then put out 144,000 evangelists to make sure that there was there was the gospel being preached. And then during the trumpets, between the sixth and seventh trumpet, he, he wanted, because boy, I'll tell you, he wants as many people to respond and, and to, to repent as possible. Because once the seven bowls of wrath are poured out, it's too late. And so remember the provisions? Remember we saw the, the two witnesses couple of characters, but yet, you know what? Those two prophets were so stout and, and confident. They didn't care that everybody else hated them. They made sure that their message was preached. We saw how the people did hate him. And so when, when the Antichrist came and killed him, and there they laid him, they laid those two guys in the street for three and a half days and celebrated. Remember how we said, but there had to have been something when... When God breathed life back into them and they rose from those from the dead, from those street, that street of Jerusalem where they laid there for three and a half days, all of a sudden they come to life and then the Lord takes them up. And it said the people just watched. Do you think that they would have been responding? What a sign, what a provision he used. Like, do you get it? And then we saw that chapter about the scroll. Remember that little scroll? And just at the right time, the little scroll. What is the little scroll? It's a condensed version of the big scroll. Right about that time, it's like, remember what this is all about? Do you remember that this is, you've got to know what this judgment is for. It's to purge this world of evil. It's got to get, it's got to get rid of all unjust injustice. It's got to get rid of all unfairness. It's got to get rid of all sin and evil. And then, and then you, you, you see that little scroll, you know, the angel says to John, okay, now I want you to eat it. You know, and if people just take that and just read that chapter, they're thinking, and that's why I don't like this book. But when you take it into context, you can see this as such a provision, a reminder 
In case you're forgetting, this has got to happen. And so he tells John to eat it. And when he ate it, he, it tasted delicious. And then it, it lands in his stomach. And all of a sudden, he's got a major stomach ache. You think, what in the world's that all about? This whole condensed version of the, the judgment. I think it's, it's when, you, when you think about judgment and you think, oh, good, he's going to right every wrong. He's going to make this world new. He's going to make a new heaven and new earth. Oh, this is wonderful. And, and then all of a sudden, the reality of what judgment really is kind of hits you in the stomach. And it's supposed to. It's supposed to, it's supposed to remind us that we won't, we shouldn't wish that on our worst enemy. So we've got work to do. A provision, another reminder that he is giving throughout this. And then another provision, remember how he, he used the three angels in midair. Remember, I think you'd think that too would be a quite a sight. One angel is flying midair and he's telling the story of the gospel of Christ. And then you got the second angel who's coming through in midair and he's saying, you better take a look at your sin. And then the third angel comes barreling through saying, you know what, if you don't, there's consequences. Another provision we saw in chapters 17 and 18, that whole thing about that Bab the great Babylon is going to fall, remember? And we thought, what in the world is that all about? And then it was a reminder of what we studied in Daniel. We saw how the, the kingdom of Babylon was the first world empire that basically, like Nebuchadnezzar, and that, they thought they were God. They thought that, that this was the, the world power that, you know, that ruled the world. And what do we see happen? Just like what Nebuchadnezzar had in his vision with a statue, we saw what Daniel had in his vision. It is a reminder that anybody who thinks that they are God or that they think that they control, I mean, we saw what happened to Satan. We saw that whenever, when he started thinking he, he was equal to God, we saw how he was kicked out. God doesn't share. And so we watched in those 17 and 18, we saw first the original Babylon go down. It goes down. No one plays with the authority of God. And then at the time of John, the Babylon that was going on then was Rome. Remember how we first saw, we saw Babylon and then in the statue, and then the second part of the statue was, was um, Persia the Medes and the Persians, and then the third part of the statue was Rome, or Greek, the Greeks, and then the fourth part of the statue was Rome. So at the time of that, that John was given this revelation, Rome was in charge, and they were terrible. And it was such an enlightening book of hope for them because they were reminded that their Babylon was going to go down too. And we know Rome did go down. And so what about today with us? What's our Babylon? It's our, it's our stinky world system that's trying to think that it's God and that it is in total control and that's pushing everything of our almighty God out. But what have we learned? What have we learned about whatever great Babylon you are in at the time? 
it's going down. And then when we studied the lesson about the Antichrist, he was ruling the world, and there, you know, and what do we know? I mean, what a great chapter, wasn't it? In chapter 19, when we watched Jesus just pick up the and the the false prophet and and the um the antichrist and just throw him into hell first time hell was opened anybody who takes the place of god is going down that's what we learned from there and then and then we we finally get to that chapter 19 and the second coming of Christ, he's coming on that horse, and he, he's got blazing eyes. He came the first time to save this world, and he's coming the second time to judge it. You better believe he is. It was a beautiful chapter, and yet, you know, we, we are reminded that, that he will see to it that no one, I mean, you think about when he comes in those nations that, that wouldn't believe. There they are waiting at the Battle of Armageddon, ready to blow him out of the sky, and all he does is open his mouth. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we can hope in and hold on to, no matter what's going on. And then we got to chapter 20, and, you know, we, we don't, I don't think the Lord ever intended for us to totally understand that whole thing about the thousand-year reign and Satan being bound, and then he'll be released for a short time. And, you know, it, some of these things, I think he's saying, you know what, you don't have to know. But you know what I say? Someday I'm going to, and I can't wait. I can't wait to see how this is all, because I'm going to be there and watch this all happen. I'm going to say, that's how that worked. But right now, it's not the important part. What's the important part? It's that last line of chapter 20. It said anybody whose name was not in the book was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the important part. So then we move into chapter 21. Finally, we get there. <laughs> John here, here's... In sees, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Because the old order of both of them are gone. The old order of things is gone. Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. Not a fixed up old one. No, it's a brand new. No more pain. No more suffering. No more crying. No more goodbyes. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. Did you remember last week how we saw, though, that two times in this glorious chapter, how the Lord said, but, but I want you to make sure you know that if you don't, he says, if you do overcome yourself and your sin and you do respond to, to my invitation, then you're going to inherit all this. And then he, he uses the biggest... But if you don't, you know, and so it was just all of a sudden he just put that in there. Like, just remember. And then even at the end of 21, it was just another, another reminder. And then that brings us to tonight. And you think after last week, did we really need one more chapter in this? How can you top last week about the new heaven and new earth and the old is all gone and evil is banished to eternal hell? And, and so, oh, that would have been such a 
terrible thing if chapter 22, oh, God would have never had us not finish with chapter 22. To me, this chapter 22 is not only a wrap-up, a recap, but it also is a warning. We see that word in there, but we also see you've got a job to do. So to me, this is probably one of the greatest lessons of all time. So we start with these words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Boy, that verse alone, did that get your imagination going? If you read it slowly or if you read it a number of times, the thought of that, the angel showed me this river of Water, clear as crystal, flowing from the very throne of God, right down the middle of the great, the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. That's power-packed. It should have caused you to think, like, at least it did for me. I thought to myself, when I read all those words, like the river, the the tree of life, and I thought to myself, I went back to Genesis, and I thought, in the first book of the Bible, paradise was lost because of, of man's choice. Paradise, this beautiful perfection was lost. We saw how Eve and Eve were kicked out of the garden on purpose so that they would no longer eat from that tree of life because if they ate from the tree of life in that condition, they would stay in their sin forever and would be lost. I'm thinking all was lost. I mean, it was paradise was lost, but then you get to the last book, the last book of the Bible, and what do you see? You see those words all coming together again. It's like paradise is renewed. This is wonderful. Hallelujah. Because of Christ and his sacrifice, we're going to be able to see perfection in paradise renewed the way it was. And did you notice, though, that there was, there was something, there was a tree that was no longer mentioned anymore? Did you notice? All of a sudden, all we see is the tree of life. And I don't see the tree of knowledge of good and evil anymore. It's gone. All you see is the tree of life. So in my, in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that river that's flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, and it's flowing right smack through the middle of the city, and, it's, and it, it kind of sounds like it's going right through the tree of life. But in my mind, I thought, you know what? I think there's tree of life on, on both sides because that's all there is is trees of life. There's no more trees of any other kind. So that's why there's trees on both sides of the river. And then you saw how it bears, it bears crops of fruit, yielding fruit 
every month, yielding fruit every one month. And that kind of got my curiosity up because I was always told that there's going to be no more time. You know, you sing songs like, and time shall be no more. But here it talks about month. It talks about the, that these trees are going to bear fruit every month. I thought, yeah, there's going to be time. If there's a month, there's going to be time. And I thought, but it's not going to be, I, I still don't think you're going to need it. You're not going to need a watch. And isn't that a good thing? We aren't. How many times do you look at your clock on your phone or your watch? I'm constantly. I mean, this rules my day. Because I, I gotta be so I gotta be in a place and and I'm I'm running late and then I'm starting to get all shook and then and then time just schedules. And we are so scheduled by time. That kind of time is gonna be gone. There's going to be time, but it's going to be God's time. No more watches. No more schedules. Beating yourself up, trying to get it all done. But there's going to be time. And then what about fruit? I thought about that. I mean, every month, these, 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 these trees bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And I'm thinking, well, if every month they're going to yield more fruit, then, boy, somebody better be eating it. So do, are we going to eat? Are we, what about this eating thing? I thought, yeah, we're going to eat. We saw Jesus ate after his resurrection. Yeah, we're going to eat. The only thing is, we're not going to eat because we need to. It's going to be... We're going to eat because it brings us together and it all focuses to the one. So just think, yes, we're going to, we're going to have time. And yes, we are going to have, we're going to be able to eat. But it's, I think it's so beyond. All we can say is it's going to be different. You know why it's going to be different? Because it's going to be perfect. And there isn't a one of us that have ever experienced perfection. And then look, it says, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, why, when evil has been banished to eternal hell and all that, now why would we need the leaves to heal the nations? And I think this is going to be a privilege that the Lord lets us have. We have lived in, like I said, not only imperfection, but we've lived in a world that's been constantly divided and wars and, and no one gets along and nation fights against nation. And I mean, last week we saw in, in 21st chapter, we talked about that there will be nations and kings. And you th I never thought about that, but it, it, I think we will see different nations and different kings. But again, it'll be different because it will all pertain to one king. But there's going to be order. And but what about the healing of the nations? I think we're going to watch. I think what healing of the nations means, it's going to be a bringing together of all that used to be divided. Nations that never got along before are all going to come together, be brought together. They're going to be healed. And it's all because of him. 
No longer, verse 3, no longer would there be any curse. I don't think we realize what a tremendous thing that, that line is. Because because of the fall, when you look at Genesis 3 and the consequences of the fall, you saw the woman was cursed, the man was cursed, the ground was cursed, Satan was cursed. We have been living in a curse. And that curse is going to be lifted. I think we are going to experience, you know that phrase, freedom in Christ. I think, I think that's when it's all going to culminate and we're going to really know what that means what it's like to live in complete freedom because of Christ. No more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. Remember we read last week, the dwelling of God will be with his people and we will be with him and he will be with us. And that whenever we are walking close to the Lord, just think that's the way it's always going to be. Again, perfection, a perfect relationship. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in that city. What, what a picture. And his servants will serve him. Now, there, there's a line for you. That now should give you a hint of whether you're going to sit on a cloud with your harp and sing all the time. I don't think so. Because who's, who are the servants? Who are God's servants? It's us. And we are never going to lose that title because it will always keep us in our proper place. He's God. We're not. We are his servants. He is the only one worthy. And this is what we are going to do. We will serve him. Remember the four living creatures. Remember all the eyes and all the wings. They couldn't do enough for the one sitting on the throne. They didn't miss a thing. They got everywhere that they needed to go. I think we're not going to miss a thing. And we're, we're going to be so in tune with making sure that our lives count for the one that enabled us to be there. Verse 4, they, which is us, think about it. We are going to see his face. We're going to see his face. And that is really something because no one could see the face of God. And so we are going to see his face. And all of a sudden we're going to realize that we've got his name written right on our forehead. You talk about belonging. We're going to see him face to face, and we are going to have his name on our forehead. And there, and then verse 5, I think just a reminder, just for us to again remember there will be no night there. Anything that we kind of assume about light, about night, you know, what happens in the night? Usually not much good. It's usually when loneliness hits it's usually when fear seems to grip us. And he says, I just want you to read these verses and realize just how perfect it's going to be. There's going to be no more night. There is going to be no need for a light or a lamp. For the Lord God will give us the light that we need. And they will reign 
they, we, we, we will reign because we're the servants and we are going to be privileged to serve him and reign with him forever and ever. There's that perfect relationship again. Verse 6, the angel said to me, because if you really took first, the first five verses and even tried to get a handle on it and tried to picture it and imagine this kind of perfection and this kind of relationship, and I, think, I think Jesus knows that it's just so far beyond our human nature that he says to John, um, or he says that to the angel, I have the angel tell John this, these words, in case you're thinking that, no, this can't possibly be, it can't possibly happen, I can't even fathom. They, these words are trustworthy and true. Everything that we read in the first five verses, it's going to happen. They're trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. See, he wants his servants, he wants his children, he wants us to know and be ready and prepared and not caught off guard. So he purposely had the spirits, the Lord, the God of the spirits and the prophets send his angel to us to make sure that that through John, we know what has to happen. Verse 7, behold, behold. I mean, here, there's, you know, sometimes in this chapter, I had to say, okay, now let's see, who's talking? Is it John who's talking? Is it the angel who's talking? Um, is it Jesus who's talking? But, you know, when, it, when you see verse 7, there's no question who's talking. Behold, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. Whether it's tonight, tomorrow, we don't know. But when it does come, it's going to be quick and sudden, and we're going to know it. So he uses the word again, behold, I want you to pay attention. I want you to hear this. I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. He repeats that. Where did we hear him say that before? In chapter 1, when he's getting us to understand what this whole book is about, this whole book of Revelation is about. I want you to know, Jesus is saying, is that I will bless you, and it won't be anything that this world can give you. It's kind of like the songs that we sang. I kind of took this verse, and that's what, how I picked the songs. What are his, ble what are his blessings? What does he say? If you really are, are, are willing to, to study and to work at this and to commit your life to the one who gave his all for you, then you can sing blessed assurance. You can sing soon and very soon. You're going to see the king. You can say, oh, I just love this story, and it is going to be my theme and glory. And we're going to have the privilege, this is another one of the greatest blessings, I think, is that we're going to be able to know that there's going to be a day, and what a day that will be, when we see him face to face and we see his name on our forehead. 
they don't come any better blessings than that. I, John, verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. He wants again to reiterate, I saw with my own eyes. I heard with my own ears. You can believe me. I didn't dream this. I actually saw and heard it. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. Don't you give him credit for, I mean, he makes one blunder. And I can't say that I blame him. I'm excusing him. But, you know, the angel's message was so profound and it was so, you know, over the top glorious, like unimaginable that I think he just fell at his feet to the messenger who was getting this wonderful message. You know, he didn't even think. He just fell at the feet of the angel. But look at, he admits. He says, you know, it was so extraordinary that I fell at the feet of the angel who had been showing them all to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. And he said to me, you worship God. In other words, get up on your feet. So he admitted, he said, I know sometimes it's just so that your tendency is to worship the messenger instead of the message. I made the big mistake. Verse 10, the angel told me, the angel said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. I couldn't help but think to myself, now where did we hear that before? And so I thought, how extraordinary that we did the lessons the way we did them this year. And I went back and found two places back in Daniel, Daniel 8 and in Daniel 12, after Daniel was given this, this vision that, remember how he, it just too overwhelmed him, and he lost his strength, and, and the Lord said, don't be afraid, I'll give you your strength back. And he says to Daniel, now seal it up. Seal it up, Daniel. Seal this prophecy up. In other words, it's not going to happen. I mean, we can, Jesus has got to come and, and all this kind of thing, and he's got to die on the cross and all that. But he says to Daniel, and you can check, in those two chapters, he says it, seal up this prophecy. It's not time yet. And yet in this book, in this last book of the Bible, we see him say these words, don't seal it up anymore. The time is near. And then verse 11, maybe it threw you, it did me first until, again, you just have to sit and ask the Spirit to reveal to you. Because it doesn't sound like Jesus giving the angel this message. I mean, you know, I kind of almost pictured Jesus saying this. I let him who is vile... Let him continue to be vile. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. I mean, that doesn't sound like Jesus. When you just seek skill, if they want to go wrong, let them go wrong. If they want to stay in their vile, let them stay in their vile. 
until I thought, okay, what are we doing here? We are in the last book of, of the Bible. We're in the last chapter. We're, he's wrapping it up. He wants, it's like he's saying the ultimate, most important things he wants us to know. And basically he's saying, you know what? I have, I have used 66 books minus one half chapter to make sure you hear this beautiful message of salvation, even the Old Testament, the promise, it was all about the promise of Jesus and salvation for the lost, you and me. He says, I have spent all this time, I even put a verse in there that they even put up signs at, at sporting events to make sure, John three sixteen. I couldn't have spelled it out any clearer that God loved this world so much that he gave his son, the only one that would be worthy of the sacrifice for the father to accept, that his blood was the only blood that was perfected so that it would wash away our sins. That whoever believes will not perish. I mean, I think he finally throws up his hands and says, you know what, I don't have anything more to say. I don't, I don't have any more words that I, I've used every tool, the God's spirit, God's word. I've used I, I, even music sometimes. I think music can help us. And you're not willing to listen. And so if you, if you just want to continue to be living your wrong, then live in your wrong. But don't, don't, don't tell me, oh, I didn't know that it was going to be this bad. Oh, yes, I told you. In fact, I even compared what heaven's going to be like and what hell's going to be like. I, I compared it so you know. And I don't send anybody to hell, Jesus said. You send yourself. I hold the keys. Remember when he said that? I hold the keys. It's up to you. I made it all possible, but you have got to take responsibility and choose it. And then verse 12, behold, I am, well, then he does say, and he kind of flips it, but then he says, and you who, who are living right, continue to live right. And you who are living holy, continue to live holy. I think to, to the believer, he's saying to us, don't turn back now. You keep you keep persevering and moving forward. Don't let the atrocities of the world start to diminish your faith. Don't start getting nervous that I'm, I've lost control. No, you who are living right, continue to live right. And then he says, verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. I am, he repeats, I am coming soon. And then he has this little section that he wants us to know. My reward is with me. He holds all the rewards. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I think he's going to hand out prizes. And I think it's just going to be wonderful. I think, uh, and, and what does, how is he going to hand out prizes? It's going to be determined, like, what did we do with the salvation he gave us? Now, you can't possibly think that this means that we have to work for our salvation. Of course not. 
We know that's by grace alone through his blood. That's the only way. But, but here he's saying, you can't just get that ticket to heaven and then just sit on it. Your life is not your own anymore. It's been bought with a price. And I'm going to hand out, and I hold the rewards in my hand, and I will hand out according to what you did with your salvation. And you're thinking, oh, boy, Billy Graham's going to have a ton of prizes. And we, we get in our mind, oh, this person, that person. I'm telling you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple who's probably going to get one of the biggest prizes, and that is my mom and dad-in-law. You don't know them. Not very many people know them. And when they got so old and they lived in this tin box of a mobile home and, and they sat around with their Bibles around this broken table that one of the grandkids busted. And they'd sit around that table and they would still talk about God's word and they would pray for us. Now, they didn't have a car. They couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> Never heard him complain. But they always saw as long as he gives us breath, we still have a job to do for him. People would come and pick them up to go to church. and So I think we can't get bent out of shape thinking, well, you know, back to Philadelphia, you know, the Church of Philadelphia. We're constantly comparing ourselves. And that's why one of those letters had to go to that church because that's what they were doing. Oh, I'm not good enough. I think his rewards in whatever state we're in, what, what did you do with my salvation? Did, did you grow and mature? Did you love me more and more every day? Could you see in your mirror the character of Christ more and more and see the character of you less and less because you were starting to be transformed because the renewing of your mind was going into God's word instead of the things and the ways of the world. And then he says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Where did he say that? First chapter. He wants us to make sure that he always has been, he always will be. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. When the world, blessed are those who wash their robes. That word blessed again. He, he's, he's, I'm going to bless you. And what is he going to bless you with if you are willing to wash your robe? That you will have the right to the tree of life and you may go through the gates into the city. I don't know if about you, but laundry is not a real fun job. It's kind of a mundane job, you know, and, and it's just one of those things. It's kind of a humbling job. It's just something that's got to get done, and, but yet it's so important. And he's saying, you've got to be willing to humble yourself and wash your robe. You've got to do laundry. And what is that laundry? That's going to the cross and let the ultimate detergent overtake you and clean you and give you that white robe of righteousness. If you are willing to humble yourself and take that walk, then I will see to it 
You know, there's something about laundry, though. Even though, you know, I, I, I got a lot of satisfaction. You know, I have two, two boys, and they were rugged boys, and stains all over. But I'll tell you, it's still just, I just love it when I can get a stain out. There's a satisfying feeling when, when you know, I, 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 iron, I still iron shirts. You know, I still like to iron shirts for my boys, for Tom. I still like to do that. And, yeah, I can't say it's my, I like to do it, but you know what I do it for? Because I love lining them up um, by my table, and I love to see them all, all prim and proper and know that my men are going to wear those shirts. I mean, there's something. And that's the thing, I think, as, as silly as this might be, the actual washing and ironing and getting that robe ready is probably not the most favorite job, but it's worth it. And he says, I sh- I'll show you how worth it I will make it. You're going to have the privilege you are because you won't have this privilege otherwise. You wouldn't be able to eat from that tree of life. And that means you'll go and live it forever. And you're going to be able to go through those 12-foot gates that are made out of one pearl, reminding you of the grace of Christ. That he instilled on every one of us a reminder that we will totally live in grace for all eternity because that undeserved favor is ours only because of the suffering of Christ. He says, You're gonna, this is this is how I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you that privilege to eat from the tree of life and to walk through those gates. Verse 14 and 15, I think it's just, again, remember, we're winding down here, and he is really shooting straight. So again, he reminds us, you got to wash your robe. And this is how you'll inherit all this. But then in verse 15, he says, but just know. Uh, there's going to be an outside. Outside are the dogs, those who will practice magic arts, the sexual immoral, the murders, the idolaters. But then look at this, because we, we can just kind of pass those. Oh, no, the, yeah, those are bad, bad people. And we don't see what he's talking about until we see an everyone, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You know what the biggest falsehood is? When you love yourself more than you love him. And when you live your life for yourself more than you want to live for him. That's the biggest falsehood there is. And you continue practicing that falsehood. He says, you know what? I think verses 14 and 15, because I think sometimes people get nervous. They think, oh, no, you know, you mean they're right outside the door? No, I think 14 and 15 is just him saying, I'm wrapping this up, and I want to make sure you know that this is how you get in, and if you don't get in, there's going to be an out. It's not complicated. In or out, up to you. Verse 16, I, Jesus... I have sent my angel to give you this testimony, this story, this truth for the churches. You got to know this. 
So I purposely had John write this book through the angel telling John, I purposely did this so that the testimony of the gospel could be bespoken out that you have to know the consequences about, about the way sin's going to be dealt with and that judgment must take place. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this testimony. And then who is he telling it for? The churches. He's telling it for, for us. And now what are you going to do with it? And then he's... he's he, ends this verse by, by saying, I am the root, I'm the root and the offspring of David. And then he says, and I am the morning star. You know, I wonder, why did he pick those? I mean, he's got a bazillion names, and then, but yet he picked those names. I am the root and I'm the offspring of David. And I think that's such a, a great picture when he says, you know, I started with a man named Abraham and then, and then the nation of Israel materialized. And, and, and then David was kind of like a form of Christ in, in a sense, you know, that, that through David's line, to prove through genealogy that Jesus came through this line, I mean, he uses this chapter as, how can you deny it? Every corner you turn, there's more proof. And then when he says, I am the morning star, I am the morning star, I'm the bright morning star. And I think every morning, every morning, you and I can wake up thinking, with him, it's a brand new day. A brand new day. He's that bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Now, when you see the word come, that four-letter word, it is probably one of the most inviting words. And I think we all love it when someone says, come, come on over. Or come to me and let me help you. Whenever someone says the word come, it's an invitation that they care and they want to help you. They want to give you something. Come. And who is he talking to here? He's saying, the spirit and the bride say come. I think Jesus is saying, I've said come plenty. I've invited you so many times. He's saying, you know what? In chapter 22, as we're winding down, you want to know what you're supposed to still do until all this transpires from, from chapters 1 to 20? This is what you got to do. You got to start giving that invitation out. And, and you can't give me any excuse. Like, I don't know how to do that. I, that's not my personality. Um, you know, one excuse after another. And he says, no, you don't have an excuse because my spirit, capital S, my spirit will be the one that's helping you. My spirit... And the bride, because who's the bride? You are, I am. So he's telling us, this is what I want you to be doing. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I need you out there. And, and the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 kind of said it so good. You got someone in your mind that 
You know, a lot of times it's family members or it's people, friends or whatever, but we, I think we all picture someone in our mind that we just want them to have what we have. We want them to know Jesus like we know him. And Paul says, you know what, uh, and, and you can write this in, in a notepaper or something when you got time this summer, is read Romans 10 because he says, you know what, you're always full of excuses, but if you really want someone to believe and you want them to have what you have, well, how can you expect them to have what you have if you're not willing to tell them or show them or, or live it out? A lot of times we're all so afraid that we're going to be embarrassed or we're so afraid that they're going to think we're over the top or we're so afraid of how they're going to respond. And If you really want him to believe, and this is why I think at the last part of the last chapter of the Bible, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to dare not be ashamed of the gospel. And people, how are they going to know? And Paul says, how are they going to know unless you are willing and here's the invitation. It's time you and I start using that word, come. Come, whoever, whoever is thirsty. And maybe sometimes it literally means if someone is thirsty, that will get the ball rolling. You can actually help them. But, but you know spiritually what he means. From the Samaritan woman to the river of life and all this, he's saying, come to me. Jesus, and you will be satisfied. Remember one of the things about hell is that you're going to be so thirsty and you can't get a drink and you'll never be satisfied. How horrible. Come, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. But how are they going to know unless you're given the invitation? Whoever took my pen out, took my pink pen out on this one. I underlined whoever, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, whoever has that desire, let him take this free gift of the water of life. Okay, now <laughs> we're in the last verses. And it has to stop us in our tracks because he is just, he is going to be wrapping this up. And what does he want us to know most? And I think he's going to say it in these last verses. And well, actually, we've been talking about it. But, now, you know, as, as the end gets closer and closer, it seems like it gets more and more intense of what he wants us to know and what he wants us to live in, what he wants us to be doing. So verse 18 is, okay, I'm going to give you a big warning here. And it has to do with my word. And I know human nature so well, Jesus is saying, and I know what you people want to do. Oh, you, you want my word to say what you want it to say. So, you know, sometimes you'll just be adding a line or two. Or maybe you'll skip a part. Because you don't, you don't want to go there. See, that's why I, I love a verse-by-verse verse study. It doesn't enable us to have the privilege to do that. Because we're not supposed to. That's one privilege we are not supposed to have is that pick and choose. 
Can you imagine how many times in Daniel I wanted to say, well, let's just skip that one. And how many times don't we read in God's word, um, um, no, I don't like that part. And so, you know, let's just pretend it's not there. It's like putting your head in the sand. No, this really isn't going to happen. Oh, it's going to be way down the road, so I don't have to contend with it now. Baloney. He's saying, don't you go there. The Bible is perfect just the way it is. And basically what he's saying, don't you dare mess with my word. And I think that's why I dared hit Esther so hard. Because, you know, there were so many times I wanted to read between the lines and add, oh, but this is what they meant. This is, this is what they really did. No, it doesn't say it. And so he is saying here, he's saying, don't try to fit Scripture to what you want it to say. I wrote it the way it needs to be written and it needs to be read. And don't mess with it. And then did you notice when you studied that, the punishment, I mean, look at, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Or if you take away, he will take away from him a share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in the book. Because I think he, he, he talks about that so intently is because he said, anybody who wants to mess with my book, really, they're messing with me. And they don't know me at all then, if they think that they can mess with me. That they can change what I am, you know, the way I like. Because he's God and he can do what he wants, how he wants, and when he wants. And he can write what he wants. And this is our instruction. And he says, anytime you want to play around with that, you really don't know me. Okay, now look, at we're in the last two verses. Can't you see? It's just gradual. Okay, second to the last verse. What does he want? He who testifies to these things. Remember, this is his testimony. This is why in, in chapter one, he made sure we understand what this is all about. And so he who testifies to all this, it's like he wants to shoot us this line one more time. Not complicated. He starts with the word, yes. Yes, I am coming soon. When you hear that in the intensity of the second to the last verse of all of Scripture, I think you sit up and take notice a little bit more. And then he finishes. This is the last line, the last verse of God's word. Did a, did a word just jump out at you because you know that all of this would be totally impossible and worthless if it wasn't for this one word? The grace of the Lord Jesus. Be with God's people. In other words, for all of us who have chosen to receive that undeserved favor, that grace, if we receive that, you know what he's saying to us? Okay, now I want you to live that grace out because that's what people need to see because it's grace that changes someone's life. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And then he closes with, amen. So be it. Heavenly Father, this book has been extraordinary, and you have made it very clear. 
And Lord, maybe in the course of this summer, may we dare keep going back. And that's what it says. We'll be blessed more and more the more we go over this. And we get it within our hearts that we know what's ahead, even though we don't understand everything. The more we go over it, we'll understand more and more. So, Lord, we just thank you for loving us so much when we didn't deserve it. And may it be said of us, may it be said what John says after he heard Jesus say, yes, I am coming. I am coming. I am coming soon. And then to be able to hear John's response with just an excitement. Because no one who, no one who doesn't know you can say this. There's no one who is playing church games can say this. There is no one who hasn't taken this from chapter 1 through can really say that they understand that you can be excited about this. Because the way John answers with that simple said, yes, I am coming soon. He answers back and says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do we dare? This is so good for us. May your Holy Spirit just prick our heart. Are we as confident as John? Are we as excited as John? Do we honestly dare to say, Amen? Bring it on, Lord Jesus. I don't care if I'm raptured out of here, if I have to go through this. It, it doesn't matter. All I know is what you promised your children. Bring it on. And I know what must take place to get evil banished once and for all, to right every wrong. So, Father, thank you for loving us and coming up with a plan. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing. And be in the word. And thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being left behind so you can fill us and help us to understand. So we can live, transform lives. And to think maybe we can be instrumental in giving the invitation to somebody. But remember. But like you said to the disciples, if someone refuses, they're refusing me, not you. Lord, help us to remember that. And that's even worse. That's even, that's even worse, the rejection that they reject you rather than us. I know we take it so personal and it hurts us so terrible, but Lord, what's even more serious is they're rejecting you. And we have learned the consequences. So Lord, may this chapter have been a momentum May we see that we do have a job to do. And until that day, may our hearts be singing. May we never hang up our harps. May we never lose our joy despite what we have to go through or whatever we're involved in. Our joy is complete and may our hearts go on singing. May we joy we carry on. And may we be willing 
to not only voice it, but to live it and to be it, and that it's just no doubt who we belong to. And we pray this all in our Savior's name, who gets us up in the morning with blessed assurance. And may we say every morning, boy, this is a great way to live. To have the hope of what we know the future is going to be and with whom it's going to be with. We're so undeserved, but we're going to take it. We're going to take your grace. And may our best way to say thank you to you is by surrendering our life and really, truly believing that we are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.